you have a Bible or a copy of God's Word, if you could turn with me to Mark chapter 10, the Gospel of Mark, we'll be looking chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. The text will be printed, it's in your bulletin, it will also be on the screen behind me. Um, I've mentioned before, and some of you know this, but I am a member of of Orange Theory Fitness, and I hate it. (laughs) Um, I work out for one reason, Uh, to sleep, just to feel better overall, to sleep better, to think better, to have more energy, that's it. I'm not trying to look like the people on the posters in Orange Theory Fitness. I know that's never going to happen, that's impossible, because you cannot outwork genetics. Every time, though, for some reason, something deep inside of me, the next time as I'm on my way to Orange Theory, something deep inside of me says this, this time, I'm going to enjoy it. This time, it's going to be easier than it was before, and it never is. And somewhere along the line, in the middle of the workout, as I'm running in the treadmill, looking at myself in the mirror, if you've been to Orange Theory, you're looking at yourself in the mirror, I have this thought, why in the world am I doing this to myself? (laughs) This is hard. I don't like this. And what is going on in that moment is really a window into my soul, if I'm honest with you this morning. And it's this. It reveals, not only in working out, but it reveals something deeper inside of me, and it's this. More than anything, I want to be comfortable. More than anything else, I want to do, I don't like things that are hard. I want things that are easy. I don't like things that are costly. I don't like things that are painful. And the disciples don't either. In this passage, we're going to see that they want life with Jesus, but they want a life with Jesus that is easy, that is pain-free, and one that won't cost them anything. Very clearly, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus looks at them and says, if you want to follow me, it will be hard. It will be costly. It will oftentimes be painful because it involves laying down your life and loving and serving the people around you. I think you'll see what I mean as we read Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. This is God's word. And they were on the, on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. Taking the twelve again, he began to teach them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? 
And they said, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what it is that you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not for my, it's not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of, of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word. Let me pray. I ask God to come and help us this morning with this passage through his spirit. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we do need your help. Would you come this morning and expose us and expose how we so often live for things um, like power and prestige and pleasure And you call us to a different approach in life. Would you show us that approach? Would you show us your deep love for us in the ways that you have actually laid down your life and served us? And I pray that that would grip us in a new way this morning. So that we, out of that, the way you have loved us, would move out into the world around us to love and serve the people that you have put in our lives. Would you do these things in Jesus' name? Amen. Okay, so the main idea of this passage is this in a sentence. Jesus had a cross-shaped mission. Jesus had a cross-shaped mission, and therefore, if we want to follow Jesus, our lives should be marked by service and sacrifice. And so now the question is, okay, How do we do that? How do we live a life that is marked by service and sacrifice? That's the question that we're going to answer this morning. And this passage shows shows us three ways that we can live lives marked by service and sacrifice. The first one is we have to remember, number one, remember what Jesus has done for us and why he came into the world. So we've got to remember Jesus' mission. Secondly, we've got to recognize and repent of our self-intoxication. And thirdly, we've got to receive Jesus' service. So those three things are our headings this morning. Let's look at number one. If we're going to live a life marked by service and sacrifice, we have to remember Jesus' mission. Look at verses 32 through 34. Jesus, very clear, He leaves no doubt whatsoever about what he came into the world to do. He came into the world to die. If you have your Bible, chances are you have a heading at this point in your Bible 
that says something like, Jesus foretells his death for the third time. And there's something here that we can't miss, and I want to stop and take a minute because I think there's some application here. So think about this with me for a second. The disciples missed something that Jesus was trying to teach them. They missed it three times. And the application for us is this. Don't always assume that you are getting everything that Jesus is trying to teach you. These guys knew Jesus best. They lived with Jesus. They slept with Jesus. They laid their heads where he laid his head. They walked with him. They saw him do miracles. They did everything with Jesus, and yet they missed what he was saying to them. And that's because inside of them and inside of us is this thing called sin that pushes back and tries to resist what Jesus is teaching us. Maybe for you this morning, it's not the cross. Maybe for you, it's you resist Jesus' teaching on his sovereignty and control over all things. Or maybe it's you resist Jesus' teaching on what he says about giving, or marriage, or singleness, or perhaps sexuality. And in this portion, Jesus, this is the third time, and the third time he talks about his death, it is more articulate, it is clearer than he's ever been before about the path that he is on. And at the very same time, the disciples are more blinded, more deaf, and wayward in their understanding than ever before. Look at how clear Jesus is being. Look at verse 33. He tells them where he will die. I will die in Jerusalem. And it won't be only the Jews who will reject me, but the Gentiles will also reject me. He says, I will be condemned to death. The word condemned there is the word indicating that Jesus will be tried and executed within the criminal justice system. Verse 34, look at how clear and graphic Jesus is about what's going to happen to him. He says he will be mocked, he will be spit upon and flogged. And the point that I want us to get this morning under this first heading, and this might perhaps be obvious to you, but it's simply this. Jesus' death on, and I think it's important, and we're going to work this out. Jesus' death on the cross was not an accident. It's what he came into the world to do. And not only does Jesus tell us what he came to do, in this same passage, he also tells us why he came to do it. A year ago, I read a book, it's a a business book, and it's called Find Your Why by Simon Sinek. And it's a book where he basically helps businesses and organizations and individual people clarify their why in life. Clarify your purpose and mission why God put you on this earth. And he takes you through a series of exercises about your gifts and experiences and what, uh, what you're passionate about. And at the end of the book, you're supposed to be able to write out in one sentence your why, your mission statement, your purpose in life in one sentence. This is Jesus' why statement. Verse 45, Jesus knew his why, and he sums it up in one sentence. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come, 
He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what sets Jesus apart. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer. This is what sets Jesus apart from every other founder of every other major religion. Their why, their purpose, the founders of other religions was to come and to live and to be an example for you to follow, not Jesus. Jesus' why, his purpose was to come and die and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does that mean? What does the word ransom mean? We normally think it means kidnapping, but it doesn't. It actually means to buy the freedom of a slave or prisoner, to make a huge sacrificial payment that matched the value or paid the debt of the slave or prisoner in order to buy back their freedom. Jesus came into the world to buy back and to pay that kind of ransom. What's the ransom? What, what, are we, what, what is he paying the debt for? Well, the Bible says there's a huge debt that hangs over us called sin. Romans chapter 3 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus came to pay that debt, the debt that we could not pay in order to buy us back and to win our freedom. And the payment was his death on the cross. And maybe you're thinking, okay, but why did Jesus have to die and shed blood? Well, because it was a cosmic debt that was put in place. Our sin, the Bible says, is cosmic treason. And it, re- it demands, God demands, a cosmic payment. And the cosmic payment was the death of God himself, Jesus, on the cross. Hebrews chapter 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Okay, so what's the application? Let me make one application about under this first point this morning, and it's this. Jesus doesn't resent you for your sin. Jesus doesn't resent you for your sin. It's why he came into the world. Jesus knows you need him. He knows that you need help. That's why he came. And I know that's subtle, and I know it doesn't seem like it's very important, but I think it has huge implications for us this morning. Because when you act like, and we do this all of the time, friends, when we act like the cross is an accident, you feel guilty all the time. You feel like God's just tolerating you, waiting for you to mess up again. You're insecure because you think that God is tired of you and that you've crossed the line and that one too many times and he's done. You see how that goes? Think about it this way. When your parents buy you a nice meal and take you out for dinner, what do you say? You say thank you. You don't go and say, I'm so sorry, Mom and Dad, that you had to do this for us and for me. No, why? Because you know that's what they intended to do. If you understand the intent of the gift, then how do you move forward? You move forward forward with gratitude and with thankfulness, not guilt and shame. Jesus came into the world to die for your sin. Jesus came this morning. Friends, he came to die for your envy. 
to die for your self-loathing and your addictions and your love of money and your cold marriage and your passive-aggressive comments that you make to your spouse. He came to die for that. And he came to die for the ways that you scream and are angry at your children. For the ways that you cut your spouse down in front of the other people. And he came to die for your poor parenting. He came to die specifically for those things. And friends, if the cross is an accident, then you'll never really enjoy Jesus. You'll never really enjoy Jesus and really love Jesus because you'll always see yourself as being a burden to him. So how do you love and serve people the way Jesus has called us to love and serve people? Well, first of all, you've got to remember his mission and why he came. And secondly, you've got to recognize and repent of your self-intoxication. Look at verses 34 I'm sorry, 35 through 41. Look at what James and John do in response to what Jesus has said. Keep in mind the original text. They didn't have all these headings, so this goes all right together. This flows one verse right after the other. And look at what they do. Hey, Jesus. Yeah, we know you're going to die, but will you do for us whatever it is that we ask of you? Have you... Are you... (laughs) Are you kidding me? I mean, James and John come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we want a blank check. Yeah, 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 yeah. We know all the stuff you've just said about dying, but can we get our blank checks? Stop for a second. Please note Jesus' patience here. Please notice the graciousness of Jesus with foolish people that say foolish things like me and you. So he responds, look how gracious Jesus is. What is it that you want me to do for you? And you know how they respond? They respond by calling shotgun. You know what it is to call shotgun? You know when I was in high school, you wanted the best seat. And so you would call shotgun because it was the front seat and it had the most room and it was the place where you would be the most comfortable. And so they say, Jesus, when you become king and when you overthrow the Romans, we want shotgun." We want the best seat. We want the seats. We want to be the chief of staff. We want the seats of popularity and power and prestige. Perhaps they're looking through the grid of the Old Testament and they saw how those kings lived. And those kings lived well and they didn't suffer and they had everything they wanted. And they're thinking, I want to set up shop with this king the king of the Jews, and rule with them. You see, they're so intoxicated with themselves that they can't see straight, and they cannot hear clearly. It reminded me, as I was looking through this passage, of the Laurel Yanny phenomenon last year. You remember this? Please say you do. Nobody in the first service remembered this. Go look it up if you don't remember this. But I remember, I think I was in the church, someone played this audio clip of this guy, and they said, what do you hear? Laurel, no doubt. (laughs) 100%. Laurel. Laurel. I'm like, "That's yes, that's very clearly what he's saying. I went home and played the same clip to my girls before dinner, and I said, tell me what you hear. They said, without a shadow of a doubt, we hear Yanny. That's what's happening here. Jesus is saying, humility, 
lose, be last. And the disciples are saying, no, 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 that's definitely not what he's saying. It's very clearly he's saying pleasure, power, and prestige. Here's the irony. You see the irony of the request, don't you? Because when we see Jesus' greatest moment of greatest, his greatest glory, what is that? Jesus' greatest moment of glory is the cross. And in his greatest moment of glory, yes, there will be someone to the right hand and to the left hand of Jesus. And it will be two criminals that have been crucified exactly like Jesus. And that's why Jesus says, you have no idea what you're asking for. You have no idea. You, can you drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they're so self-intoxicated, they say, no problem, Jesus, we got this, we can do it, done. Here's the problem. The cup Jesus is talking about here is a metaphor. It's a picture of what in, in the Old Testament. It's the cup of God's wrath. It's the cup of God's just judgment against evil. It's the cup that in the garden Jesus says, please take this away from me. And Jesus says to them, I'm going to drink that cup. I'm going to pay the ransom and drink that cup all the way to the bottom and take the full wrath of God so that you can be free. And then he goes on and he tells them that they will indeed drink a cup. But it's not that cup. It's not the cup of God's wrath. Here, later on, if you keep following the passage, they will drink the cup, not of God's wrath, but of suffering. Verse 41. After all this... The disciples hear this and hear Jesus having this conversation and they still don't get it. They still don't understand. It says that they're indignant. Why are they so mad? They're mad because of the reason I was mad in high school when someone called shotgun before me. (laughs) They called shotgun before the other guys and so they're upset because they don't get the best seats. They beat them to the punch. They wanted the exact same thing, power, pleasure, and prestige. And the temptation is for us to hear this and to read this story in 2018 and say, man, these guys are clueless. They don't get it. How could they miss this, what Jesus is saying to them? But friends, don't forget that this is meant to be a picture of us It's a picture of you and me this morning. This is a mirror that reflects reflects back on us. I was so challenged this week reading this passage because I see so much of myself in James and John. Do you? How often do we come to Jesus and we say and we lead our prayers with Jesus. Yeah, 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 I know. I know what you're asking me to do. But will you give me whatever it is that I want? Jesus, give me power, prestige, and pleasure because that's what I'm really after. What are the ways in which you are self-intoxicated this morning? And it's actually keeping you from hearing 
Jesus clearly. The disciples, Jesus kept showing them the cross, and they kept asking, just like me and just like you, for a life with no cost. You see, we're exactly like them, aren't we? If we're honest, where do we need to repent this morning of our self-intoxication? Repent, I mean just to turn away from those things and run towards God. Thirdly, how do we live a life of sacrifice and service? We've got to remember Jesus' mission. We've got to repent and recognize our self-intoxication. And lastly, we've got to receive Jesus' service. Look at verse 42. They still don't get it. And so Jesus gathers them together and he says this, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over people. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus here is not correcting, he's just stating a fact about what he's observed in the world. People that are in charge in the world, they lead by being authoritative and being domineering. And they have power and prestige because they want to get their way. And Jesus very clearly says, not so with you. Not so with you if you want to follow me. Verse 43. And let me stop here. Verse 43 and 44. We've heard, some of us have heard these kinds of things our whole life. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Whoever would be great must be your servant. He's totally redefining the way our world thinks about greatness. He has taken us, taking us in the opposite direction that you and I naturally want to go. We want to go power, prestige, and pleasure. And Jesus says, go to the back of the line. Go to the back of the line and serve. Jesus here is taking us to John chapter 13. Remember John chapter 13? Jesus becomes like a household slave and gets down on his knees and takes a basin and a towel and he washes the dung off his disciples' feet. And Jesus is saying, that's our call. That is our great privilege in life that we have been given as followers of Jesus. Verse 44, he continues, And whoever would be first must be the slave of all. And so he is calling us to be slaves, to be slaves to Christ and slaves to one another. He is saying, this is what it means to follow me. And what I believe, oftentimes I want Jesus to exist, and I believe he exists in order to make me comfortable, safe, and happy. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Following me is a call to come and die. It's a call to serve and to pour out your life for other people so that they can live. And so then the question is, okay, so what does this look like for us? What does this mean for us practically and for our church? Well, two, two things, I think, of points of application. It means that we go to the back of the line in every area of life. Why? Because that's where Jesus hangs out. Jesus is calling us to a totally different approach for living. 
He is calling us to be so sacrificially loving towards other people that the people around us who do not know Jesus would be unable to imagine the space in which we occupy with them without us in it. That we would be so loving and so serving of other people that the people that we work with and play sports with and sit at the lunch table with at school and in our neighborhoods would be unable to imagine life with, without us there in it with them. And they would start to trust us. And they would trust us because we become a people that is not just looking out for ourselves and willing to step over anyone and everyone that gets in our way so that we can get to the top. But we are a people that actually looks out for them. See, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying the world says you influence people through power, control, and dominance. And Jesus says not in his kingdom. No, no, no. In his kingdom, you go to the back of the line and you start looking for ways you can serve people in your home, workplace, and neighborhood. Then you'll have the influence that you desire. Man, it's radical. Secondly, it means that we have to start loving people. This is a call to love people in a costly way. Listen to this quote by Tim Keller that leveled me this week. There are lots of wounded people out there. They are emotionally sinking. They're hurting and they're desperately in need of someone to love them. And when they are with you, you want to look at your watch and make a graceful exit because listening to them gets in your way and causes problems that can be grueling. It can be exhausting to be a friend of an emotionally damaged person. The only way that you're going to start filling them up emotionally is if someone loves them, and the only way to love them is to let yourself be emotionally drained. Some of your fullness is going to have to go into them, and you'll have to empty out to some degree. If you hold on to your emotional comfort and simply avoid these people, they will sink. And then listen to this. The only way to love them, I love how he phrases this, is through substitutionary sacrifice. You see what he's saying? The only way to love them is to love them the way Jesus has loved you. Friends, that is what we want to be at this church. That's what we want... For Faith Church, we want to love people in costly, substitutionary, sacrificial ways. Because when we do that, not with our theology, not because we're the Bible answer people in our small group, and not because we have the best programs. You know what gets the attention of people outside of this room? Remember what Jesus says, they'll know that you belong to me by the ways that you love one another. That's what's going to get the attention of the world. And maybe now, this morning, you think, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Jason, you have no idea. I hear you, but you have no idea how selfish I really am. I do, because I'm a human being too. 
you have no idea how selfish I am, maybe you're, you're saying, and, and maybe you're saying this is overwhelming for me to even think about. I want to live this way, but how in the world? That's the million-dollar question. How do we do this? Well, notice Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done himself. Verse 45 again. He didn't come to serve, or to be, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The power to lay down our lives in the way that Jesus calls us to here is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember the gospel. The gospel is not about how much you sacrifice for Jesus. The gospel is how much Jesus has sacrificed and how much he has done for you. We cannot forget the gospel order. We love and serve. Why? Because Jesus first loved and served us. In other words, if we're ever going to truly live this way, we've got to see Jesus at our feet loving and serving us. And so what that means is that you've got to admit that you have a need to be served. If you're ever going to, that's where it starts. You've got to say, I need Jesus to serve me because I have a debt of sin hanging over me. And Jesus comes and ransoms you and buys you back. But you've got to start with realizing that you've got a need. There's a documentary called A Walk to Beautiful. Some of you might have seen this documentary. It's about a fistula clinic in Ethiopia. Fistula is a childbearing uh, issue that uh, women are injured through childbearing, and it disfigures the women. And these women, it's a chronic problem in Ethiopia. They're outcast because the fistula. And when their husbands find out that they have fistula, they leave them immediately. Their families want nothing to do with them. Do not allow them to live at home. They build a room onto the side of the house so that they can live. And it puts them in isolation. And they're outcast and they live lonely lives. One lady even said that her life was so terrible and she felt so worthless that she thought about drinking poison just to end her life quickly. Then there is this fistula clinic in Ethiopia. Brings in these women, and they have no chance and no hope, and they do these operations on these women, and they fix their problem. And after they do the operations and they recover, they give these women bright, shiny new clothes, and these women are transformed They go from being downcast and lonely and miserable to smiling and happy and joyful. And you would think that after something that transformative happening in their lives, that the minute that they got those new clothes, they would be out the door and they would re-enter society and say, I'm getting remarried. (laughs) I'm going to hang out with my family and friends that have not wanted to hang out with me. No, that's not what they do. They don't. You know the only thing those women want to do is stay at that clinic and love and serve and hug and cry with and rejoice with the women that come in. Friends, the gospel says that you are one of those women. The Bible says that you and I have a chronic problem that disfigures our soul. And it's not noticeable on the outside. It's on the inside. It's your heart. 
You've got a debt, the Bible says, hanging over you that you need to be ransomed. And Jesus came into the world to buy you back. Jesus came into the world to heal people like me and you that are after pleasure and power and prestige. And he meets us, this is the good news, right where we're at, not where we want to be. And the only way you and I are ever going to love the way Jesus is calling us to love is when we see how Jesus has served and had compassion on us. The only way we will be able to love others is when we see Jesus' love and service to us. And when you realize that, the gospel, it doesn't turn us in on ourselves. You know you're starting to understand what Jesus has done when, like these Ethiopian women, it pushes you out to love and serve the people around you. Here's the why statement. I want a why statement for Faith Church. We want to be a church that knows how deeply we are loved by Jesus. And knowing how deeply we are loved by him, it pushes us out to love and serve people out of an overflow of how deeply Jesus has loved us. That's our why. That's what we're about. We can't do it on our own. So let's pray and let's ask Jesus to help us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for stooping low. Thank you that your mission was clear and you came into the world to ransom us. Forgive us this morning for being intoxicated with ourselves and for living for power and prestige and pleasure. Help us through your spirit this morning to experience your love and compassion for us, particularly as we come to this table, so that we might love and serve people in a sacrificial way. Help us through your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.